Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Well, the tree wasn't the only thing lit today. The Dow surging more than 300 points, crossing that key 24,000 level. The S&P and Russell also closing at record highs. And it all began with hopes of tax reform as the Senate seems to be on the fast track to passing its tax cut bill within the next 24 hours. In fact, let's go right to Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. Our Elon Moy is standing by live with the very latest details. Elon. Scott, the tax bill is gaining momentum in the Senate. It got a big boost when Senator John McCain said that he will back the tax reform bill. He put out a statement saying that even though this legislation is not perfect, he does believe it will provide relief to American families. However, in just about the past two hours or so, there was a new wrench in Republicans' plans when the JCT, the Joint Committee on Taxation, they released a dynamic estimate of how much growth they expect this tax plan to generate and it's a lot less than Republicans were hoping for. The JCT estimating that the tax plan would generate $407 billion in additional revenue over the next decade, and that is not enough to cover the $1.4 trillion cost of this tax plan. The Senate Finance Committee putting out a statement saying that this analysis is curious, it deserves further scrutiny, and they emphasize that the final version of the tax bill is not yet complete. It is still being hammered out on the Senate floor. Another important thing to note is that the JCT assumed a very aggressive response by the Federal Reserve to a strengthening economy. That is also very different from what we have been hearing from Jay Powell and Janet Yellen over the next few days. So even if you discount that, however, there is no way, according to the JCT's analysis, that the Republican tax plan will pay for itself. Back over to you, Scott. All right, Elon Moy, thanks so much with the very latest there in Washington, D.C. Well, with tax cuts feeling imminent, the Trump trade is reborn. That's what, uh, that's what the harps mean. Check out some of the major moves this week. Transport's hitting an all-time high. Financial small caps surging. All of the same groups that caught a bid right after the election are being bought hard yet again. So is the Trump trade back for good? And is it your best bet into year's end? Guy. Scott, great to have you. Yep. Thanks for coming in from Mel. I hope she's enjoying herself. The short answer is it never went away, and we've talked about that for quite some time. We'll talk about the financials. Tim, Karen, uh, David Albin, bullish. Let me explain why I continue to be bullish in financials. Goldman Sachs, for example. The height of the financial crisis, banks were trading two and a half, almost three times price to book. At its trough, less than one times price to book. I would submit we're not going to get back to all-time highs, but 1.8 times price to book is not unreasonable in the environment that we currently find ourselves in. What does that mean for Goldman Sachs, you ask? Thanks for asking, Scott. It means a stock with a book value of 190 at 1.8 gets you to a $340 stock which to me is still not unreasonable. Well, when you ask yourself <laughs> questions, I don't yeah. really have to do all that much. you got to see when he stumps himself sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Back and yeah. my feet up. I know. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I agree with Guy, and I think the one thing that's important, the theme that we've been watching is this whole rotation people are talking about out of mega cap tech or out of technology into some of these more value trades. I think the, the incremental dollar goes to value. 
We talk about that on the desk all the time. We've talked about it this week. Incremental dollars are going to go to value names. So you talk about the financials. You can make the argument, and Guy made it very well. These are more value-oriented names. But I do not believe that you're going to have core holders of these big technology names selling stocks liquidating and moving into different different sectors right now. I think the buy, the dollar, the incremental dollar might not, might not be there, but you're not going to see m real movement. So you're, you're, not a, you're not a full believer in this rotation I, look, that you can started call it a, to take hold over the last couple of days. You can call days. it a little... You can call because there was not much of a bounce no back question. in tech today at all. No, not at all. But you have to look at it in this way. Say the, the, the incremental buyer, and I say the new dollar coming in is not being allocated to tech right now. But I, I can tell you right now, when you look at a Facebook growing earnings by roughly... They're going to grow earnings 70% this year. Look, the, the, Next year, 30%. There's no reason to take your foot off the gas, and every technology specialist knows that. Well, except for the fact that the, the comps get really difficult for a lot of these companies as we get into the next couple quarters. And if you think, the, you know, the, at least we're valuing valuations are, I think, at least somewhat challenging. Um, and then you get back to retail and you get back to financials and even the transports. Because, again, Guy and I talk about this all the time with the airlines. I mean, these uh, Delta is priced in a recessionary economy at nine to ten times earnings. And that's just not appropriate in this environment, even if you don't think that they can run their companies the way they should. So um, we've had these bouts. We've probably had three or four of these allocation bouts where we've seen this massive rotation. By the way, look at the volume in the ETFs, uh, the XLF, the XRT, the IYT. These are all the, tr the, the three major ETFs that would be trading those three sectors. Um, they're all trading at momentum. We're going to have Rich Ross on in a second. But if you look at some of these ETFs, they actually look a little overbought here. I don't, I don't think you need well, to jump in tomorrow. Okay, on that, on that note, then, then Karen, does, th does this market make you want to buy or make you want to beware? And Icon on with me at, at halftime today used the word euphoria. Uh, it actually makes me, I was a little bit of a net seller today. I mean, I think the financials, a big position there. It's worked, but I think that. It's in a frenzy in the last few days, right? So I want—I don't want to sell, but I'm going to take some money off the table, sold some out-of-the-money calls in J.P. Morgan. I think which that, is in its own right is up like seven percent in a couple of days. And that's J.P. Morgan. It's enormous. It's not cheap anymore. I mean, for a historical multiple for J.P. Morgan to itself, it's getting expensive. The yield, which used to be great, because stock was a lot cheaper, not you know two percent now. And, and it trades on a, you know, not inexpensive price to book, as it should. It deserves that. However, I think this run is too far, and I think the, the exodus out of technology is overdone as well. I think we'll see a bounce there. But, but here's one of the things that I think with financials, and I, I agree with everything you said, and I just said I think maybe a little overbought. But, you know, people will look now at a 10-year chart on the, on the financials and, again, look at the XLF. And somewhere in, in I think, mid-2007, we were around 30 bucks on the XLF. We're somewhere around uh, 27.50 right now. So we're within 10% of the all-time highs. And people will say, hey, you know what? Are these better balance sheets? Are these companies that are possibly right. better exposed to the economy than ever? We've got a housing market that's a tailwind that's not really priced into a lot of these banks. And, and I, you know, people talk about the yield curve. We try to push back on that. Um, bottom line is five head Fed hikes in the next year, which is what we're hearing from most people, or at least the next 15 months, is very, very good for these banks. So when you're looking around for value or places to look for right. relative value to what's moved, Right. Financials feel pretty good right now. And again, these are big companies. JP Morgan's $360 billion. We talk about the market caps in the tech sector. You can put a lot of capital to work. Unless this is a rotation of one big head fake. And that people are going to sell some of these bank stocks that have ripped and some of these other so-called Trump trades, which in the last few days have ripped, and go right back, as Karen said, to buying the tried and true and what got uh, you here, what you dance with what, who yeah. brung you, and it's technology high growth so stocks. That's a, great, that's a great point. And, and I think you're 100% right. The question is, what's the theme into year end? Mm -hmm. Right. And then what's the theme starting next year? And I think the theme in the year end is financials outperform. I think the XLF, I think the, the uh, regional banks are going to outperform, you know, other pockets of the market like a technology on a relative basis. So I look at tech and say, again, I don't see incremental sellers there blasting out of positions, core holders. 
I just see the buyers sort of taking a pass a little bit and putting money into well, I don't know, other some of these areas. chip names in the last couple of days. I mean, okay, some of them got a tiny bit of a bounce. Some right. of them, yeah. not all. I no. mean, they, you know, you got some names that are at the top of your right, but that theme, big run list, the Nvidia's, Microns, sure. things like that, which have gotten obliterated this week. You look at the you look at the names that you say, and, and right, buyers will step aside and things you know abnormally shift. big declines. Abnormally, but here's what you said. I, I, there is no reason up. to take your foot off the Over gas, time. the accelerator of things that are working, and and every institutional account in the country understands that theme now. There are secular trends emerging in different pockets of the market that you need to be there on. The winners are going to continue to win, and the losers are just going to be underperformers, period. All right, well, so is the Trump trade back on for good. Let's settle that debate by going off the charts with Rich Ross of Evercore ISI. Hey, Rich. Hey, Scott, thank you very much. Look, I'm a buyer of the breakout in banks, the pullback in tech, and the resurgence in the Trump trade. Let's start with the transports here. The first thing that we see, this is a multi-year base of support. So when we talk about the potential for euphoria, I don't know how you can have euphoria when four years ago we were at 9,000 and today we're at 10.5. So four years you've gone up 15%. That's not euphoria. That's a multi-year base breakout. And look what we've done. We've taken out this line of resistance here. And importantly, let's go back quickly to November 7th, the day before the election last year. We break out in the transports and we lead the market higher into year end. I think history repeats itself, so the transports are a great place to start. Now, we look at the small cap stocks. They have been similarly resurgent. We're going to look at a weekly chart here. Once again, very similar to the transports, big multi-year base of support. You can see this breakout here in textbook fashion. So the small cap stocks really coming up big lately, up 9% off recent lows. That trend continues by those small cap stocks. And finally, those banks, the financials that we talked about, the XLF. It just passes the S&P on a year-to-date basis. So we're up a little bit more, 18.5 percentage versus 18.3 for the S&P. So that's what we like to see. And really, we don't have to add much to this chart, but I will anyway. You can see sort of this ascending wedge here that we've broken out from. So you want to buy those financials? Here's a great one for you. You know the name. This is Bank of America. We're going to look really long-term here. BAC Baxter, you know I don't speak Spanish, but I'm amazed at what's gone on here in Bank of America. Only twice has this happened. This is the 200-month moving average. You break below it. It sets the stage for the financial crisis. Pretty good sell signal there. So what's happened today? We break back above it for really only the second time in its history. So I'm buying that big multi-year breakout. And once again, you can see this ascending triangle, massive multi-year. Bank of America is a great way to play it. So the Trump trade is back. Buy that tech on weakness and buy the breakout in the bank, Scott. All right, come on back over here, uh, Rich. Well, that was a unilateral <laughs> decision. Usually we take a vote. No. No, is that I, how you play? I have that power. Oh, well, that, <laughs> I have Rich that Ross. power. Um, I hear you making the case that, that this is rational exuberance, not irrational. I think so. Look, I think Bitcoin, as we all know, is sort of a, a po the poster child for exuberance, and it's making people think that the gains that we've seen in the stock market are illustrative of euphoria. But we've been in a historically low volatility environment, so when we see gains of 20 points on the S&P, we think it's euphoria. It's not for those that have been around for a few cycles. Yeah. You guys, you guys agree with that? Well, no, I, I want to get to the transports, which is not euphoria. They're just starting to come out. I know Tim likes it as well. I mean, to me, that looks like... There's a lot of it's far from euphoric. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the airlines have held that trade back, as we For know. Sure. The yeah. XAL right. up 4% yes. year to date. So that's been the Achilles heel of the group. But you look at your truckers, you look at your rails, you look at your logistics, FedEx, et cetera, XPO. Those have been uniquely strong. So the transports are muting the strength of the transport. It's telling you that the synchronized global recovery is intact. And it's just the airlines which are sort of, you know, masking that underlying strength.
Rich, how much mm -hmm. is this a rotation back and forth? Because no matter what, they're buying something. So it's not as if people are selling technology, and actually that's a barometer for at one point we thought, boy, if they sell tech, there's nothing else to buy because if it was a year and a half ago, this is where our, there was zero. No, they're, the they're, buying, so, they're buying retail, they're buying airlines, they're buying industrials, they're buying the things that well, they and, hadn't and been so, buying so, of late. And so my point is we've seen this, this call it an oscillation, call it a reallocation back and forth, but this has been going on unabated for 18, really since the lows of Jan 6. Tell me about that wall of money, and at what point aren't we out of cash? Uh, look, it's a great question. It's probably the number one question that we get this talk about a rotation. I'm not a buyer of that concept. Look, this is not macroeconomics. It's not guns or butter. There have been times the market has been very binary in recent years, okay? Guy, you, were times, Guy, you thought it was guns and it butter, was, right? It's not 1752 here. So <laughs> there have been bull markets where you have been have growth and value, banks and tech working together. Right. The 90s, the aughts, if you will. So once again, we're getting into a very bullish phase here where there is a backdrop for many things to work together rather than at the expense of each other. Other, which has been the case for the past few years. He moves fast. You know what made me? I thought of lawyers, guns, and money, of course. Warren Zevon. By the late yeah. Warren yeah. Zevon. Yeah. And I'll just, I'm not good buying the guests, but I'll give you one other sector we talked about. Well, I, the, I, I'm going to do that. So that's he's, right. the <laughs> he's the judge. He gets to do whatever he He's the Al Hague. He shows up after a long day on our desk, and I think he's allowed to do what he's supposed to do. Mel leaves. He asks himself questions. He intros the guests. He wants to go buy the guests. Insurers. Insurers. We talked about them at the peak of the storms. We said, you know what? These insurers might sell off. You're going to give you a great opportunity to get long to name. I lumped them in with the financials. Look at a name like Allstate since September, October. October, off to the races. That's the hidden financial trade. You know, I'm going to throw a little bone here. What? Yeah. Why you go by the guest? No, not only. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> just once. Rich Ross, has been great yeah. having you on. You are at the zenith of the show. Back to you, Scott. <laughs> Thank you, Guy. All right, coming up, breaking on CNBC.com. Just moments ago, Amazon in exploratory talks with generic drug makers. Mylan up nearly 3% off that news. Meg Terrell is the reporter who broke that story, and she's going to join us. Plus, the Blue Apron CEO is out. That stock is up after hours. Will this save that struggling stock? We'll have much more on that developing story as well. And later on, tech guru Dan Niles says forget about the sell-off this week. He'll tell us the one stock in that sector, he says, is still a screaming buy. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have some breaking news on Amazon. CNBC.com reporting that that company is exploring talks with generic drug makers. Meg Terrell breaking that news and joins us now on the phone. Meg, what can you tell us? Hi, Scott. Well, what we've learned is that Amazon has held preliminary sort of exploratory talks with makers of generic drugs like uh, Novartis's Sandoz unit uh, and Mylan about a potential entry into the pharmacy space. This is a story that uh, just published with Christina Farr from CNBC.com. Um, she's been writing a lot about this. And people have been wondering what Amazon's going to do in this space. What we've learned is that from these conversations, it appears uh, Amazon's plans are not yet clear uh, to people in the space with whom it's talking. These are still very sort of high-level discussions about exploring getting into the space, uh, but that they are taking place across uh, big generic drug makers uh, in the industry. And so um, people are watching to see whether this is going to impact distributors like McKesson, Amerisource Bergen, and Cardinal Health, uh, and exactly what form Amazon's role, if any, is going to take. But we have to emphasize it is early stage here from what we've learned today. Yeah, we, we will. But we're also you know, wondering what, what impact could be on, on stocks like CVS, uh, which is down uh, perhaps on, on your reporting, Meg. What do you make of, of that? 
Absolutely. It's interesting because CVS and Walgreens have been very impacted by Amazon's potential move here. And Walgreens CEO, actually, at this conference, the Forbes Healthcare Summit, where I've been today, uh, last night said he didn't expect Amazon would get into this space. However, a lot of people think, uh, you know, pharmacies should be nervous about Amazon potentially making a move there. So uh, everyone in the space knows that the healthcare industry is changing, whether it's Amazon and, of course, Amazon being the biggest sector. Uh, but that's weighing on these stocks pretty heavily. Yeah. David Seberg, who's on the desk with me, uh, has a question, I think, for you, Meg. Hey, Meg. How are you? So quick question just about the licensing side of it. So you look at, you know, Amazon going out and making an acquisition of one of these, you know, you know, a CVS or even a Rite Aid or something like that. They get to acquire the licenses there. To build it alone, it takes time to gather that. So without making an acquisition and just going, you know, of a, a pharmacy, going after, you know, a myelin, what's the license structure? Do you know anything about that? You're making a really good point. And, of course, there was that news recently that Amazon had acquired uh, state licenses in a few states, and there, the speculation was that was an initial move. But what we learned after that was that those licenses weren't for uh, potentially distributing pharmaceuticals. They were for existing businesses that Amazon has. And so people expect they would have to beef up their uh, licensing in all the different states in order to be able to get into this business in a bigger way. And a lot of people think that the regulatory environment, you know, and the regulatory structure of this industry is too complicated for Amazon. However, other people think they can absolutely figure that out and, and do it. It's a huge market, obviously. Yeah, Meg, great reporting. Appreciate you calling in for us. We'll talk to you soon. Our own Meg Terrell with that big news, uh, Amazon, with preliminary talks on some generic drug makers, including Mylan. Mm -hmm. well, it around. Well, go ahead. No, I think for, for Walgreens and CVS, you look to first as uh, really bad news for them. I and mean, we see what happens when Amazon goes into an industry that could really be terrible for a while. CVS has the Aetna situation. So, you know, maybe and, and I think that could be a good deal for them. So Walgreens, would meet, for me, would be the purest play or long generics. But Right. So for the, and so this is the distribution, essentially, and, and, and that looks very dangerous. And, and you think about the generics, though, if you think about the third quarter earnings season we just went through, I mean, this is a pricing environment for generics. It's not been good. It's not going to get better anytime soon. And I think it's largely reflected in the price of these stocks. I mean, I think, you know, think about Mylan. I mean, this is a company that has just bounced back in the last couple months from really trading lows. Some of this is, is politics, and some of this is just the fact of the matter is pricing is still a headwind. I don't think it changes. But... I think it's absolutely reflected in these share prices, and I think this kind of a deal is a catalyst, not a, not a negative. Well, I think, I think what's interesting, we just put a big report out about this about a week ago, and I think to do it alone, for Amazon to do it alone, the opportunity for them in the pharmacy business is roughly a $3 billion opportunity in 2019. If they were to make an acquisition, we suggested Rite Aid, it's a $20 billion opportunity. It just expands greatly. So the opportunity to go it alone isn't necessarily that great. So it makes sense for them to look at a myelin, but they got to get these licenses. I don't think they've actually scratched any licenses yet or pulled any, that's going to take time. So maybe they acquire somebody else like a Rite Aid as well. Maybe it, they do one big sort of gallop. They can. So, but if Amazon is, so if Amazon is now in the space, does this force the hand of some of the big cap pharma names to do something to counteract? For Does Teva Pharmaceutical now become, come in play? That's a stock that's been a disaster. They should I mean, be. Yeah, I mean. But they should be, right? So if you look at Teva, given their valuation, I understand it's been a, it's been a very difficult stock to own for the last year and a half, two years. But at this valuation, if Amazon is going down this road, does it force a hand of somebody else? Is Teva in play? So on a flyer, I think that looks pretty interesting. Yeah, well, that stock's up uh, now 1%. Uh, perhaps on some of that speculation off of Meg's report. Now to Blue Apron, that stock is higher after announcing a CEO change. Our Aditi Roy is in San Francisco with more on that developing story, Aditi. 
Hi there, Scott. That's right. Shares of Blue Apron in the after hours now spiking a little less than two and a half percent after news that the company has a new CEO. Their CFO, Brad Dickerson, is stepping into the chief executive officer role, replacing uh, Matt Salzberg, who was one of the co-founders of the company. That's effective immediately. Uh, Dickerson came uh, to Blue Apron. Uh, he's been with Blue Apron for a while now, but he's come to Blue Apron from Under Armour, where he was for 11 years. For several years, he served as the company's CFO. He says that Matt Salzberg will be staying on as the company's executive chairman. And in that position, he's going to be focusing on the long-term goals and strategic goals of the company while he deals with some of the day-to-day -day challenges. There have been a lot of challenges for that company on a day-to-day -day level. Uh, shares have plunged about 70 percent since the company went uh, through their IPO. They've also had a lot of layoffs as well as challenges of transitioning to a new fulfillment center in Linden, New Jersey. We've been hearing about those troubles as more, most recently as uh, the last earnings call uh, of the company. Uh, the, he did tell me over the phone, Dickerson did, that that Linden Fulfillment Center is now on par with other fulfillment centers when it comes to customer service. The metric they look at is on time and in full, whether those meals are on time and in full, and they're making fewer mistakes. He says that has been a development. And as the new CEO, he's going to be focusing on uh, improving those margins. But again, shares up about 2.5%. Back to you. All right, Aditi, thank you so much for that. Uh, breaking news, Aditi Roy, uh, with that story. All right, Tim, I mean, it's been a disastrous existence as a publicly traded company, to say the least. Well, I mean, is this worthy of buying all, yeah. the stock? This is now a 550 million market cap company. Let's be clear about this. This is this is a pimple at this point relative to some of the competition that's out there and the guys that are in the space. This is all a competitive story, by the way, you know, not for investors, but for some people, certainly for the first round of investors, that CEO is a hero. How he got this deal off at those prices and who bought that, I don't know. I know that's easy to say that now, but think about the guidance that was lowered over and over the size of the deal into that deal, the pricing of that deal. It so was, to some people, that guy was a hero because, in fact, this stock was not worth that at the deal. It never should have gone public. It was that was a failure of Wall Street. They shoved that Agreed. out there knowing, I think, knowing that it was a terrible deal and then came out later to support it in terms of, you know, analysts. Yeah. Upgrade. It was ridiculous. Never should have been public. This company's got problems. I mean, look, their customer acquisition costs are huge. The only thing that could save this company is a takeout. Somebody come in and acquire them. I think Kevin O'Leary just sold a business just like this. And I think I don't know that anybody's looking for it. They're building their own. The competition is fierce. I don't think they have a chance. I wouldn't be investing in the stock. All right. Still ahead, General Motors' self-driving fleet could hit the streets sooner than you think. So what has investors pressing the sell button on that stock? We're going to explain that story. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. That's what traders are saying about retail's remarkable rally. But if you miss the move, we'll give you the one name traders think you can still buy. Plus, Fang is losing its bite, but a top tech investor, Dan Niles, says now is the time to buy. And he'll reveal which name he likes best when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. It's been a tough week for the FANG stocks, though a few bounced back today. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Parent Alphabet, all down for the week, anywhere from roughly 1% to 4%. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but when you're dealing with this group, you're in the biggest league of them all, the biggest stocks by market capitalization. And when they move, they move indexes, and they can make and lose a lot of money for investors. Apple, Facebook, Google, and Amazon were four of the five biggest negative drags on the S&P this week. 
Let me show you what I'm talking about. Collectively, the five FANG stocks have a market capitalization of about $2.8 trillion. How much is that? The entire value of the U.S. stock market is about $28 trillion. So the FANG stocks are about 10% of the market cap, the entire stock market, five stocks. That was the end of last week. Today, total market value of the FANG stocks, about $2.75 trillion, a loss of about $60 billion in market cap in a few days. Facebook and Apple alone lost about $17 billion each, followed by Google. The good news is that this group stabilized today, and that's the big question. After gains of as much as 56% for Amazon this year, and with Google, the smallest advancer, up 32%, every one of them has at least doubled, and in some cases tripled, the S&P 500's 18% gain. Even with outsized revenue growth, really, how much longer can that continue? Back to you, Scott. All right. Bob Pisani, thanks so much. All right, let's trade it. I was going to jump in there, but Bob was on a roll. Figure I'd let him go. Well, you, you, know, no, you don't want to interrupt Bob in a situation <laughs> like that, Scott. But, but ultimately, I think if you look at technology here, it, this pullback means almost nothing. Uh, it really does, especially when you consider the run they've had. That chart that they just showed, Amazon's still up on the week slightly. So big deal. I mean, you think of the market cap that was added. You think of the valuations there. Um, it, it's not surprising that at some point people should have to feel, let's take Amazon. This is a company, if they are going to try to disrupt the, 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 you know, the generics and the drug distribution industry, they can join five other industries they're trying to disrupt right now. That stock is priced to perfection, I believe even though I believe Amazon's a long-term holding for anybody. The fact that it's pulling back here after this kind of a move in the rotation we see is, is not only appropriate, but it's, it's actually something I encourage. Obviously, Google being down on a day where the market's up 300 points is a little bit concerning. But out of the four names of the FANG stocks, you know, Google 28 times forward earnings when it's growing close to, you know, 30% EPS growth, give or take. I think it's a pretty compelling argument just on a valuation side that the other three names can't say the same about. So I look at Google at these levels. It's held here before. I think the risk reward sets up well. If you made me play the game, would you rather, which we all he's doing do it again. <laughs> he's doing it again. I, that's a theme Who tonight. Who yeah. to play it, though? No, he's, Nobody. He's the, he's the oh, other voice in my know. head. If he's already would been the host, why they, not be the producer? You were watching. They, <laughs> the they other voice. The you should talk, right to Bob, there. should talk to Bob Pisani about Google. this. Google gets you done. Or Alphabet, whatever they call it. Well... Despite the big tech sell-off, our next guest has one tech stock to buy right now. Dan Niles is the founding partner of Alpha One Capital Partners. He joins us now on the Fast Line. Dan, thanks for being here. It's good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, too, Scott. Uh, it's been quite a sell-off over the last couple of days. It, it, it's enough. You've seen enough to buy one of the FANG stocks at, at these current levels? Well, I mean, let's be realistic. This isn't much of a sell-off, right? I mean, the... the these stocks are all down a few percentage points, and I think it just speaks to the fact that we haven't had a real sell-off you know, since January of 2016. So there's no, there's no way that any of these things are oversold. Now, if you're thinking about it more than for, for a day and you're sort of looking out over the next year, I mean, and this was brought up earlier, if you look at Amazon, the stock's up over 50% this year. So is Facebook. So is Apple. But if you look at the revenue growth, Amazon's revenues this year are up 30%. Facebook's, uh, sorry, Apple's revenues are up only 9% this year, and that's against 50% stock growth. But Facebook has had the top line is going to be up about 46%. So it's actually one of the few names, and by the way, Facebook's earnings are up about 66% this year. It's, it's one of the few names that's actually cheaper in a raging tech tape than it was before these stocks all advanced. So, you know, from a standpoint of risk-reward, I think Facebook's a name you can look at. There's a whole bunch of other reasons, but I think it's one that we really like as we look into calendar eight. So you don't think that what we've witnessed over the last, you know, two sessions or so is in any way the start of a more meaningful rotation away from high-growth tech and some of the other names within this space? 
Well, I think it depends on which names you're talking about. If you're talking about the Internet names, I think you're going to start to see the market become more selective. There's a big difference between an Amazon at single-digit operating margins and a Facebook at 50% operating margins or a Netflix that has negative free cash flow for the next couple of years. And so I think what you will start to see is more selectivity. I think other areas of tech um, are are likely to struggle. Um, You know, semis is not a, a space that I'm particularly fond of right now for a variety of reasons, but I do think there's some still really good buys within technology, you know, like Facebook, where you've got uh, some uh, some really good reasons to to own that. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Dan, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. So you've been you've been playing in tech for a long time. So can you drop into context where you see valuations now relative to maybe where they should have been five years ago? Because we're arguing obviously a global economy, and we're certainly arguing guys that are taking market share, and we're actually seeing uh, the bigger get bigger, and actually really kind of crowd a lot of people out. How much of a premium should these multiples be trading at? Because that's what I think I hear you saying. Yeah, and, and that's, that's exactly right. So if you look at a Facebook and you say, okay, I'm getting 50% top-line growth, or 40, 46% to be exact, and I can buy it at a 25 multiple, that to me sounds a lot more inviting than buying the S&P at a 20 multiple, because the S&P is certainly not growing revenues at 46%. Um, so I think it all does come down to valuations. And if you look at the sort of from the start of this, uh, this bull market back in 2009 to now, You've seen, you know, the 10-year PE of the market double over that period of time. And so there's no way you can say valuations are low for the overall market. But, you know, if you can buy a 50% grower at a 25 PE, you know, that seems pretty appealing. Google's growing at 20% per year. You can buy that in a mid-20s PE. That's pretty appealing. And so I think it just it depends on which parts of the environment you're talking about. And some of them, like Facebook, I still view as pretty cheap. Um, and you've got an extra 2.6 billion uh, users of WhatsApp um, and Facebook Messenger that they haven't really started to make money off of yet. They're only making money off of 2.8 billion users between Facebook, which has got 2 billion, and 800 million that's Instagram. And then I think there's some other areas within tech, like 3D sensing, that are going to be really, really exciting as the iPhone 10, that technology goes more per- pervasive, like Momentum. And then IBM, which we haven't talked about, which I've hated this stock for probably five years, you know, that thing's trading at 11 times. But I think the new mainframe cycle that just started is probably the biggest cycle in 10 years because it's automatic data encryption at 11 multiple and a 3.8% dividend yield. I mean, that stock was actually up yesterday, believe it or not. And I think that, that has some more room to go. So I think, Dude. rightly to your point, some of these stocks are expensive, but there's a whole bunch of them that aren't. I've I, I got I to go, but did you buy IBM? Are you now an owner of IBM shares? Believe it or not, after five long years of not liking the name, yes, we own IBM shares, and we think it could be probably one of the better tech stocks next year, especially if the market is, is rougher, which we think it, it could be. Yeah, interesting stuff. Dan, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for coming on tonight. Appreciate it very much. All right. Thanks, Scott. All right, Dan Niles. Let's kick that around. What about IBM? That is not so interesting to me, but Facebook and Google, I think, you know, we talked about valuations are very reasonable here. And all the things that are making this market go up could also be good. You know, a tax deal could be good. A repatriation, obviously, would be excellent. So we've seen this several times since the Trump election, where they got sold off so hard a few times. And I think value these are. Have have they come down enough? Have they they come come down down enough? enough? Well, they've come down not that much, but the market has gone up. So I I think if I were putting new money to work, I would be buying Facebook and Google right here. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, 
he's 100%, Dan's 100% right. I think the Facebook, the argument to buy any of these is still there, and that's exactly why this isn't a rotation. This isn't why you're seeing tech investors moving out of this space. They're not. They understand the economics here. They understand the valuations. They see the growth trajectory. They're sticking with the story. So I would be buying Facebook here. I think the one stock that concerns me a little bit because of a gross margin issue potentially for next year is Amazon. But you guys are only buying these stocks in an up market. So if this market was in a different place, I think it would, you'd have less conviction to say Facebook, you know, and I, the valuation no, I is okay. I, but, I mean, you, you're, not, you're not buying Amazon in, in, a, in a down market. You're buying Cisco. You're buying a name that's at a valuation, and, and you might even be buying Intel. I mean, that's how I look at it. So what am I buying here? I, I'm not saying that I think we're going into a down market, but I'm telling you if we're all – at this point of the market, and especially on a show like today where we're saying, what do you do here? Um, you go for a Cisco. You, you go for mega cap tech at a multiple with, with a company who's growing their margins, paying you a decent dividend. I feel safer there. I don't know. I look at IBM. We brought up IBM. I think IBM is okay. I think it's an interesting play. There's no growth right now. We, I want to see the growth start to turn up there. And this AI, I mean, AI is the buzzword around every company right now. I want to see it sort of take hold and move. The I mean, the only reason I bring it up is like, okay, yesterday on, on halftime, Jim Labenthal right. finally bought it after literally five yeah, years. Jim, Jim, now Dan Niles, yeah. after five Compelling years, takes a look there. at IBM and buys it. But the, but I don't it, think there's downside risk to the story, but I don't see it shooting up like a rocket. In my opinion, I just don't see it shooting up and having a trajectory, a path to the upside that's meaningful until they start to execute. Execution's huge. And I, I just think that if people are buying stuff, and I'm not saying this is the case with IBM. I'd prefer to be agnostic right now on IBM, but I'm just telling you, if people start saying, not, boy, I got to go find something. And, and I, these guys aren't saying that. But, you know, people start stretching in markets like this to go find something that looks interesting and on value. And IBM is ridiculously cheap if yeah. you want to look at where their multiple is relative to themselves. But I don't see what changes there overnight. All right. Still ahead. Retail stocks are such. I, said I, was I guess I'm not agnostic after all. Apologies, Scott. Okay, thanks. Uh, retail stocks are suddenly surging. The group posting its best month in more than six years. What's suddenly changed about that space? We'll explain. Plus, while stocks are surging here at home, Chinese stocks are feeling the heat. Don't worry, though. Tim says it's the perfect time to swoop in and buy. He's not agnostic there. He'll tell us what has him so bullish when Fast Money returns. Fast Money. Well, remember at the top of the show when we talked about the Trump trade being reborn? Well, retail is also enjoying a bit of a resurrection itself. In the last month, there's the harp again. Oh, Sneaker nice. stocks like Nike and Foot Locker have surged 9 and 40 percent respectively, along with big box retailers like Costco, which is up 15 percent in its own right. The resurgence reaching names like Michael Kors up 20 percent and even department stores like Macy's up as much as 26 percent. Grocery companies Kroger have staged a comeback. That name surging 25 percent, a big chunk of that today alone. November officially marking retail's best month since October 2011. So if you missed that move, is it too late to get in? I don't think so. I mean, Kroger might be a little bit too late. We talked about Kroger on valuation after the whole Whole Foods thing went down. It languished around $20, $21 for a long time. Obviously, you've seen a nice bounce here. You hear that? That's not that languishing. That's, that's blossoming, the harp? actually. That's, the harp that's a crazy sense in my head. I thought it was just me. J.W. Nordstrom, go back respects. and look at earnings about it three or four weeks ago. We talked about it before earnings. We'll talk about it again. You have a nice double bottom in the stock. You have positive momentum into the holiday season. Big short interest. So I think a lot of these names, although they have run to the upside, I still think there's further room. Well, one of the things that's happening here is there's, this isn't just, you know, people buying. This isn't a short squeeze. This, by the way, this is not a Trump trade. This was never a Trump trade. The border adjustment tax uh, and a lot of other things going wrong for 
department stores and big box retailers is something that's been largely left out of the Trump trade. So let's be clear about this. This is retailers that were oversold, that got too cheap, that are having their best holiday season in four years, that came into this year with better inventories. Look at Macy's. They've been buying back their debt. They're improving their balance sheet. They're going to pay a 6% dividend yield December 15th. It goes ex-div. I mean, this is a different story. And I think investors were so off sides in this. Everyone was on the wrong side. Of the I'm not saying Macy's is going back to 60 bucks. But I'm telling you, this is a stock yeah. that now is up 35% off the lows. People want to own it. I think, I think, look, I mean, there's no question people are offside in this trade, but it absolutely is a Trump trade. When you think about it from a tax perspective, there's a 15-ish percent boost to earnings with corporate tax cuts. So you look at a JWO and you look at a Macy's, they're trading ahead of that on expectations, maybe 50% baked in. But you've got to, now you've got to weed out the names that have brand. And okay, Dave, but, but I, I, no I, get, I get that, and that's a great point, except for the fact that we've been pricing department stores as if they're going out of business, that they have no reason for living. You know, that has nothing don't. to do they, with taxes. Because they don't. If that they're, was the reason. they're terrible investments, and everybody knows it. The reality is they're well, trading right now on the fact that they are Buying Macy's at 20 bucks is a good trade, because you're buying it when everyone has thrown out the window. Uh, and this is a business that's still alive. The They've got free cash flow. It's not the dividend. And no, no, no. I They're in their the best holiday season in four years. It's the dividend and it's tax right now. And I, and I think it really, it truly is that because the real estate value, you can go through it and do the numbers. Every I'm not, re, is, I don't own it for real estate. That. I don't own it Valuation for in the world. So there's the value there, in my opinion, isn't necessarily that great. I look at it and say, there's no doubt it's a tax trade. No question. That EPS I, you don't think though, and you it don't, is short covering. You don't think um, that, I don't think it's short covering. I don't. But you don't think though that perhaps the pendulum swung way too far. I, I don't know, Macy. No, 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 I, I think do it did. Course, I think it but, did, and that's why you're seeing. In, you'll see a little vacuum up in price act action, right? And maybe because of offside positioning. So you'll see trading opportunities. I said it before, this, this is a group that you trade. It is not a sector that you're a space that you invest in right now, especially these legacy sort of names that have all this real estate. And, and you're seeing what's going on with these mall-based stores. It's not going to end. It's only going to get but, worse. But again, the, you know, the reason why something happened this week, and I'm just I'm choosing Macy's again because tax. it's a name I own and I know a lot about it. They started buying back he their debt. They're improving. You know, and he keeps doing that, and that's fine because people are only <laughs> listening to me right now. So, you know, if you think about it, Macy's, part of the issue was people think that they've got a major hole in their balance sheet. They're buying back longer-dated maturities. This week, they actually led a credit revival in a lot of retailers. And if you go to the debt side, and the credit guys are usually smarter than the equity guys and ahead of this trade, they've been buying back credit for a lot of these retailers. And that's, to me, for equity pies. Karen, you get the last word. Well, I, I guess for me, I'd rather own brands. I mean, it's been a nice, nice, very nice pushback on for Macy's. A nice pullback. I mean, not pullback. Run for Macy's to the upside after a gigantic move, though. Sure, gigantic massive. move Awful. to the downside. I'd rather massive. own the brand itself. Terrible. Of right. Coors or whatever it is. <laughs> PVH. Still ahead, General Motors unveiling its new autonomous vehicles this week. So will its new fleet of cars drive profits? Plus, Baba sinking this week, now down 7% from its recent high. But there's something in the chart that suggests now could be the time to buy it. We're going to explain when Fast Money comes right back. To Fast Money, General Motors unveiling its new self-driving vehicles this week. Phil LeBeau is in Chicago with more. Hey, Phil. Hey, Scott, we had a chance to go for a ride in one of these vehicles in San Francisco earlier this week. And today in San Francisco, GM unveiled its strategy when it comes to autonomous drive vehicles. And it's a bold strategy. In fact, the company expects to make billions of dollars once it launches a self-driving ride-hailing service. That's right ride-hailing service with self-driving GM vehicles. They expect to start by 2019, targeting urban markets where they believe they have a strength right now, especially given the work they're doing in San Francisco. And they believe that this business 
could be bigger than GM's core business right now. If you take a look at shares of General Motors, it's worth noting that once they announced this plan and they started holding this analyst day meeting, if you will, look at what happened to the stock. It tanked immediately, stayed down throughout the day. Guys, there is a fair amount of skepticism, not just that General Motors will be able to make money when it comes to ride hailing, but let's be honest, Uber dominates this market and it hasn't made money there. Although we should point out as you take a look at a video of us in the Waymo self-driving minivan that we also tested within the last month, GM is starting up a ride hailing service with self-driving vehicles and Waymo plans to start probably sometime early next year with its own ride share service in the Phoenix area. So we see this race beginning, Scott, into self-driving vehicles cutting into what is a, a growing business, this ride-sharing business. The question is whether or not it will be as profitable as General Motors said it would be or could be today when it met with analysts. All right, Phil, thanks so much as always. Phil LeBeau up in Chicago for us uh, tonight. All right, let's trade this one. What well, do you think of GM? Like GM? Yeah. I, I like GM, although I, I have to say I, these are tectonic shifts. And that scares me a little bit. It's not priced. It's not frothy. It's not, you know, priced like uh, a tech stock, even though there is a tech element to it. Uh, but I, I think Mary Barr is great. I think she's doing a great job. I'm still going to hang on to it, even with the tectonic shifts. I like her. I like the valuation, and I like her stewardship. But, you know, we're talking about tectonic shifts in, in, in the sector, and Tesla's priced as if it's an automatic on their tectonic shifts. They've got a trillion-dollar opportunity that right now they're not profitable at all. They're burning cash like, like a drunken sailor, and, in fact, GM has never been more free cash flow positive. So their big dinner tonight is all about AV. It's all about self-driving. It's all about the exciting stuff that Tesla gets on their multiple. GM, if it got half of that, it's a $100 stock. Second, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. No, go, go, no, go. No. Second no, derivative. Please, Scott, Second derivative. Tell, see, now you're patronizing me tonight. No, I'm not. No, that's not nice. Yeah. Show's Scott, almost you. over. Go. AutoNation. Go. And why do I say AutoNation? I'm glad you asked, because on August 29th, <laughs> they, they announced a quarter of a, a billion dollar <laughs> stock repurchase plan. Not insignificant for a $5 billion market cap company. We talked about it then. They seem to have turned the boat around in terms of their business model. Getting into the service business, which is good, and valuations are compelling. They've had a huge run-up. think there's more room to go. All right. Still ahead, Chinese Internet stocks suddenly going from hot to not. But are there any traders buying on that dip? We'll find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. We have breaking news now on the tax bill. Let's get right to Elon Moy in D.C. with some breaking developments, Elon. Scott, we just got word from Republican leadership that the fiscal trigger is not allowed under the rules of the Senate. And what this means is that Republicans have to go back to the drawing board to address the concerns of deficit hawks like Senator Bob Corker. I just spoke to Senator John Cornyn, who is a member of Republican leadership. He said one idea that they are considering is a stair-step increase in the corporate rate to address those concerns of the rising deficit from the tax bill. So again, the idea of a fiscal trigger is now off the table because it does not comply with Senate rules. Back over to you. And remember, the vote out of committee yesterday was 12-11. One of the principal reasons, if not the only reason, that Senator Corker was a yes, Elon, was because of the trigger, correct? He had said
said that he had assurances from leadership that this is an idea they would work on uh, because he did not want to see the deficit going up. Leadership has been working with him on that issue, but the Senate, Senate parliamentarian just told them the plan they had been uh, compromising is not going to work and is not allowed. Yeah, interesting. Ilan, thank you so much for the very latest there. Um, all right, so there's the question on how all of this is going to unfold for the market um, tomorrow. Maybe the, the headline here is not so fast. I think it's going to solve the debate we have about whether or not taxes having any impact on JWO and Macy's. That's what I think it's going to do. But no, I think, look, I do believe that there's been a lot of tax inflation and in, in a lot of different names. Uh, and I think we'll see it just come out tomorrow. I think we'll see it start to come off a little bit or, or pause a little bit. There's no reason to chase these things if you don't believe things are going to get done. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for two reasons. One, if they have a solution that's not as good. And two, if we start to see cracks and then, you know, the Republicans can't can't get to it's, it's remarkable, though, when you, yeah. you know, what, what, 55 minutes ago, we begin the program saying it looks like it's on the fast track. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah, but 55 some, some, minutes some later, parts, some parts of the rally, Scott, so are actually very defendable, even in not a tax environment. I think we've said that about banks. And in fact, I sold small caps yesterday because I think some of this has come too far. So there's no question to me today's rally and yesterday's rally were very tax dominated. But it doesn't mean that this market has nothing else to stand on. And certainly banks have a lot to stand on. All right, let's talk about Alibaba for a minute. That stock surging more than 100 percent this year. And one trader is making a big bet now that there's even more room to run. Mike Coe joining us now from the plasma to break it all down. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So, Scott, you pointed out that it had fallen about 7 percent since it hit that 191 high. And we did see some activity today down here close to 180. They're using options to make a play of retesting that level. And what they did was buy the January 180 190 call spread. We saw that trade just under 4,000 times for $3.75, risking about 2% of the stock price to make a play that is going to go back and retest those highs by January expiration. Yeah, been a big run for that stock. Mike, thanks. We'll take a quick break. We'll do final trades next. It is time now for final trades as we go around the horn and... Tim Seymour, kick us off. <laughs> How about that, Alibaba? I think you can step in and own it 175 or better. All right, Karen Feinerman. Yes, we've had a gigantic financials run here, so I'm taking a little money off the table. JP Morgan, sell some upside calls. Seaberg. Uh, China theme, I'm sticking with it. FXI, I'm a buyer. Guy Adami. Great having you here, yeah, Scott. It's it was a pleasure. Great. No, Good I mean pleasure. that. Was, yeah. Type of pharmaceuticals on the back of this Mylan news there, cowboy. All righty. What a day in the markets today. I'm Scott Wapner. We will see you tomorrow on the Halftime Show. Back here again, 5 o'clock. And Options Action tomorrow as well. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.